What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So in today's episode, we're going to give you a breakdown of all things that have happened in sports over the last few days. A few things have happened since my last episode, which my last episode recorded was one with Chris Cotillo on, I believe it was Tuesday now, or Wednesday. I believe it was Wednesday, actually. It was Wednesday. I had an episode with Chris Cotillo. Uh, but since then, a lot has happened in sports, including Chris Sale just getting moved to the 60-day IL today. So I'm going to give you an update on sports that have happened since that episode, and then a couple of things that happened before that episode, like Jacob DeGrom's injury. Uh, he's out for the rest of the season now. I'm going to talk about the Texas Rangers uh, and give you guys an update on all things sports. So to start off, the Texas Rangers, tough blow for the Texas Rangers rotation, a team that has been pitching so well and playing so well all season. Just suffered a major blow to their rotation, and it's Jacob DeGrom going down for the season with Tommy John surgery after just six starts. 2.67 ERA, 45 strikeouts, and 30 and a third innings pitched. Great stats. I mean, he's one of the best pitches of my lifetime. The issue is, though, is just health and injuries. Health and injuries. He's only made 32 starts over the last three seasons. 32 starts in the last three seasons. If you look at his stats over those 32 starts, elite. 14 and 6 record, 2.03 ERA. 293 strikeouts in 186.2 innings pitched. 186 and two-thirds innings pitched, and he has 293 strikeouts. 107 more strikeouts than innings he's pitched. That's nuts. So it's more than just an inning, you know, a strikeout an inning. He has 293 strikeouts to 186.2 innings pitched. Very impressive. His ERA was great over that stretch, 203 ERA. Even this season, 267 ERA and six starts was good. The issue there is, though, just injuries. One of the biggest what-ifs in sports ever. I mean, you could add in a guy like Derrick Rose as well. What if Derrick Rose never got hurt and didn't have the knee injuries? What if Jacob DeGrom didn't have his elbow injuries? I mean, two of the best players of my generation. What if neither one of them got hurt? I mean, that's, that's definitely a question that people are going to be asking for a long time, especially with Jacob DeGrom. When he's on the mound, one of the best pitchers in baseball, year in and year out. Dominant. Every single time he's on the mound, giving you it his all, hitting 100 miles per hour on the gun, even in the 7th, 8th inning. One of the best pitchers in baseball over the last 10 years, just the injuries, that's the issue. He did just sign a big deal with Texas, 5 years, $185 million in the offseason. This is a guy that deserved that money, two-time two Cy Young Award winner, has only made 44 starts over the last four seasons, 32 in the last three years, and is now, as I said, set to miss the rest of this season and probably the majority of next season as well with Tommy John surgery. He did have elbow discomfort earlier this season and has now opted to getting Tommy John surgery, which is very unfortunate. If you look at it, though, he did say that he is shooting to be back by the start of next season. So if that were to be the case, he's only going to miss the rest of this season. But I'd imagine he's going to miss summer next year as well. That's obviously tough to see, especially on a team that had such high hopes. I mean, Texas right now is playing great baseball. 40 and 21 record on the year, second best record in the MLB, 7 and 3 in the last 10 games, 15 and 5 in the last 20, 22 and 8 in the last 30. They have the best records in the MLB over the last 20 games and 30 games, 15 and 5 and 22 and 8 over those two stretches respectively. They've been playing such great baseball and for a team that was struggling for so long. They finally started to figure things out. Spending a lot of money last offseason, spending money on Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon about a year and a half ago now. Spent half a billion dollars on those two guys, and it's working out. Seager in 30 games. He's played this season. Six home runs, 29 RBIs, a 336 batting average, 588 slugging percentage, and a 981 OPS. He's been dominant when he's been out there. And then Marcus Simeon, nine home runs, 50 RBIs, 299 batting average, and 863 OPS, and seven stolen bases. He's been playing great baseball. Two big, big contracts there, and it's worked out. Then you look at their big contracts pitching-wise. 
Jacob DeGrom, obviously that hasn't really worked out. India won now with the injury, but when he was on the mound, he was pitching well. Nate Evaldi, they signed on a two-year $34 million deal this past offseason. He's been one of the most dominant pitchers in all of baseball. 8-2 record, 2-2-4 ERA, which is fifth best in baseball. 77 strikeouts to 14 walks and 8 and a third innings pitched in 12 starts with a 9-3-4 whip. 0.934 whip, which is very good, and also has two complete games on the season, which is number one in the MLB. Another guy on the team's been great, Adolis Garcia, 272 batting average, 15 home runs, 52 RBIs, a 513 star percentage, and 843 OPS. 843 OPS, 52 RBIs, 15 home runs. His batting average, everything is up this season. He's looked like a different player this season, especially at the plate for average. 272 would be the best of his career. And then one more guy I'm going to mention, Josh Young, could be AL Rookie of the Year. 12 home runs on the year right now, 293 batting average and 854 OPS. He's probably second right now in most people's eyes to that AL Rookie of the Year title. As of now, Masataki Ishida on the Red Sox is the favorite right now. Signed a five-year $90 million deal with the Red Sox out of Japan, and he's been great for the Sox this season. Seven home runs, also adding in 15 doubles, 33 RBIs, has 24 strikeouts to 23 walks on the season, so almost just about even there in strikeouts to walks. A 315 batting average, 387 OBP. So great on base percentage there, 387 and an 878 OPS with a 137 OPS plus. He's been very good for the Sox. Right now is probably the favorite for a rookie of the year. So now I'm going to slide in and talk about the Red Sox. They will be playing the Yankees starting tonight in a three-game series in the Bronx. The Yankees had a game rescheduled this past week due to the Canadian wildfires in Quebec. The air quality in New York was actually one of the worst in the entire world at one point. It has cleared up, though, for the Sox game for tonight. Unfortunately, though, the problem was this past week with the wildfires in Canada, it blew a lot of the hazardous air to a lot of the northeast and the, and the east coast. So, unfortunately... The New York Yankees had a game rescheduled this past week. This past Wednesday, they had a game rescheduled, and then also the Phillies as well. So the Yankees, White Sox, they had a game rescheduled, and the Phillies had a game rescheduled as well. Uh, it was postponed this past Wednesday, so they both played doubleheaders on Thursday, yesterday, to try to make up the games. There was an orange haze over the New York City skyline. It kind of looked like Mars to a degree. It looked like a red, red haze covered the entire skyline. I mean, you couldn't see it from the George Washington Bridge. You couldn't see it from the Brooklyn Bridge. The entire New York City skyline was taken up by this orange haze. And obviously, with it being hazardous, it wasn't safe for the players. It wasn't safe for fans to be out in that environment and be playing. So, according to the medical experts and the, and the weather experts, it was best for both the MLB fans and the teams to not play and have people stay home and stay out of the air quality. So, luckily, the games are postponed. Now, it looks like it's better in New York City today. So, the Red Sox will be opening up a three-game series there in New York City. As I, as I said... New York at one point did register one of the worst air qualities in the entire world, and it was also the worst in New York City in decades. So, obviously, tough past week there for New York, uh, but things are looking better for them this this coming weekend for the Red Sox. The Red Sox three and seven in the last ten games, eight and twelve in the last twenty, twelve and eighteen in the last thirty. They've been struggling. They have to find their stretch and really get back on track. They have to find their footing over these next few games. Beating the Yankees in two out of three would be a great come up for the Sox. As for the Yankees, playing very good baseball right now, 37-27 on the year. This is the first time they're meeting the Red Sox on the season. Garrett Cole will be on the mound for the Yankees tonight. 7-0 record on the year, 2-8-2 ERA, a 1.13 whip with 84 strikeouts at 79 and two-thirds innings pitched. He has five earned runs in two of his last three starts. So that means he has been getting hit around a little bit. He did only give one run in his last start, but the previous two starts before that last one, 
Five earned runs in each of those two starts. So maybe the Red Sox can hit him around tonight, hopefully. Adam Duvall will be back in the lineup for the Sox tonight. Coming back from a wrist injury, he had four home runs, 14 RBIs, and a 455 batting average with a 1030 slugging percentage and a 1544 OPS in eight games during the start of the season before the wrist injury. Now he's coming back. Hopefully his bat is still as hard as it was when he first left that Red Sox lineup. He's playing out of his mind. It was one of the best plays in baseball at the time in the first week of the season. Garrett Whitlock will be on the mound for the Sox tonight. 2-2 two two record on the year in five starts with a 5-6-1 ERA, 20 strikeouts and 25 and two-thirds innings pitched. 26 years old, turning 27 in the next few days. The Red Sox have 10 out going tomorrow. 3-5 record, 5-4-6 ERA in 11 starts with 56 Ks and 57 and two-thirds innings pitched. Yet again, another young starter in the Red Sox rotation. Just 26 years old for Bayo and Whitlock. Whitlock is turning 27, as I said. Tanner Houck, as I said, will be pitching tomorrow. He's only got six innings in three of his 11 starts on the season. The Red Sox are very careful with him going three times through the order. They worry with him going around that third time that he's going to get hit pretty hard. His fastball has been very good this season, 93.8 miles an hour. He's a very good sink at 93 on the radar gun, and then a very good cutter as well, 92 miles an hour. His great stuff just has to put it together. I think if the Red Sox are going to go anywhere with his rest of the season, they need Tanner Hope, Garrett Whitlock, and Brian Bayo to be pitching great, and James Paxton as well. If they're going to go anywhere the rest of the season, they need great starting pitching because that's what's been a struggle for the Red Sox. They have a 5-2-2 ERA from starters on the season, which is 26th in baseball. Only Kansas City, Colorado, Cincinnati, and Oakland are worse. Kansas City, Colorado, Cincinnati, and Oakland, the only teams that are worse than the Red Sox this year in starting ERA. And they've yet to shut out an opponent on the season. They've allowed at least one run in every single game this season. So Red Sox have to figure it out, and they have to figure it out fast. They had a quote Joe Judge from a Giants head coach of the New York Giants. They better get it fixed. They better get it fixed fast. The Red Sox have to get it fixed. Tanner Houck, he has to be pitching better. And then Brian Bayo as well has been better then Houck and Whitlock so far in the young season. 3-4 and four record for Bayo in nine starts with a 3-9-7 ERA with 46 strikeouts and 45 and a third innings pitched. 24 years old for Bayo. So they're three young starters. 24 years old for Bayo, 26 years old for Houck, and 27 years old for Garrett Whitlock. The young trio there. If the Red Sox are going to go anywhere, this young trio has to turn things around. They have to get back and they have to get hot. And James Paxton has to be pitching like he has been on the young start of the season. With 63 games in, the Sox are 31 and 32. They're a game out of 500. They need Whitlock, Bayo, Houck to all have a great weekend in New York. If the Red Sox can beat the Yankees in two of three, I'd consider that a win. I would consider that a win if the Red Sox can win two of three against the Yankees this weekend. The last thing I'm going to talk about here with the Red Sox is Chris Sale was just moved to the 60 day IL due to shoulder inflammation. The earliest he can return now to the Red Sox rotation is August 2nd. And this is yet another blow to Chris Sale with another injury. It's been tough for him over the last three or four years now. He had Tommy John surgery, missing the whole 2020 season. Had a finger injury with a line drive going off his hand in the 2022 season. Also had a bison injury as well at one point in the 2022 season. And now it's a shoulder injury. So all in all, he's only made 22 starts over the last four seasons, including this year. 22 starts in the last four seasons he's made. Since the 2019 season ended, he's made just four starts. Across 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023. And he was just getting good. He was just getting good. In the last six starts of the season this year for Chris Sale, 2-2-5 ERA with a 4-0 record with 41 strikeouts of five walks and 36 innings pitched with a 191 opponent batting average. He was just getting good. Just getting good. And that's really the toughest part with this Chris Sale injury. He was just finding his footing and getting back on track. So now I'm going to break down some news across the world of soccer. And this is a big, big report 
coming out of the MLS in the last day or two, and that is Leo Messi will be signing with Inter Miami, an MLS soccer team owned by David Beckham. According to reports, Leo Messi, in his two years in France playing for PSG, was unhappy, did not enjoy himself. And I guess you can kind of see that, considering in the 2021-2022 season, he only had 11 goals across League One and Champions League play. Just 11 goals between League One and Champions League. And that's a guy that can give you 11 goals in 11 games when he's on. He can give you 11 goals in 11 games when he's on. So the 2021-2022 season, his first season with PSG, only 11 goals, I said, across League One and Champions League play. And then when he went to play for Argentina in the FIFA World Cup, he was locked in and just revitalized his career. Revitalized his career in that stretch there for Argentina. Seven goals in seven games in the World Cup with three assists. Seven goals in seven games. Just looked like a completely different player than he looked like for PSG in his first season. Then in his second season with PSG, this past season, for PSG in 32 matches, 16 goals and 16 assists in League One play, adding in four goals and four assists in seven Champions League games this past season. So 16 goals, 16 assists in League One play for PSG this season in 32 games. And then in Champions League play, four goals, four assists in seven Champions League games. Looked like a completely different player for PSG than he did his first season. As I said, in his first season, only six goals and 14 assists in 26 matches in his first year in League One. But looked like a different player in that stretch there for Argentina in the World Cup. And then even looked like an even better player playing for PSG this past season. Uh, but obviously, things looked like they were going in the wrong direction for PSG and Messi. It just seemed like their relationship was breaking. And obviously, things got worse in May. He took a trip to Saudi Arabia and was suspended two weeks by the PSG team for taking that unauthorized trip. And according to ESPN reporter Julian Lawrence, that caused tensions in the locker room, tensions in the dressing room, with some players unhappy with the incident. Obviously, the PSG front office was not happy with it, and then fans were upset as well. So his relationship with PSG was breaking, and I think everybody expected things to fall off and expected him to leave at some point. So at the end of the day, things didn't work out for PSG and Messi together. But obviously, when you can add two of the best players in the world, having Leo Messi playing with Kylian Mbappe and Neymar, it's obviously worth a shot trying to make things work out there. And obviously, Messi gave it the two years. And at the end of the day, he had the ability to leave now and ends up going to Miami and had options to play elsewhere as well. He could have returned to Barcelona. But according to Messi, he heard that Barcelona had to sell players or lower the salaries of players. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. So he didn't want to go back to Barcelona. He didn't want to change the livelihood of so many players and didn't want really the team to have to make that many adjustments to make it happen. So he ends up saying no to Barcelona for a return home. Obviously, that was his team for so long. And then there was also rumors he could have played in Saudi Arabia with a deal up to $1.25 billion. There were also reports that he was getting offered $1.6 billion to play in Saudi Arabia. Ends up saying no to that. Chooses to play for Miami, who has added millions of followers over the past few days. And if you look at their Instagram account, they had 1 million followers before the signing of Messi. They're up to 7 million followers now on Instagram. 6 million followers they added on Instagram over the last few days. So obviously now, Miami's going to have a lot more people going to games. And this is a team that was struggling to get people to go to games. They were 28 out of 28 in the MLS in fan attendance over this past season, averaging just about 12,000 fans per game, 28th out of 28th in fan attendance. And this is for last season. These numbers are according to a website called SoccerStadiumDigest.com. All these numbers are MLS attendance numbers as of October 11th, 2022. So obviously they were struggling to get people to games, 
even with MLS attendance going up by 25% from 2021 to 2022, they're getting a lot more fans at games. For Miami, they were still struggling to get people at games. And now when you add a guy like Messi, so many more people want to go to games now. And into Miami, they're struggling right now, just 5-11 and 11 on the season. But obviously now, you know, a lot more people are going to want to go. And that's apparent by the ticket prices. For a game on September 3rd against LA, prices increased from $81 to $420. $81 to $420. So many more people want to go to these games now because you want to see Messi play. You want to see Messi play. And there's a lot that goes into his contract. Obviously, he's getting a lot of money. He's also going to get a part ownership option of the Inter-Miami team. He also gets a cut of the revenue of new subscribers to Apple TV's MLS Season Pass streaming service. And then also, we'll be getting somewhere between $125 million to $150 million as a contract, which that hasn't really been put out yet over the length of his contract, though, according to ESPN here. It's valued by Miami Herald that it'll be around $125 million to $150 million over his length of his contract, which estimates to be two and a half years in length with an option for the year 2026. So we'll see what happens there. Not too sure how much money he's going to be making, but obviously makes the decision to go to Miami. And now there's a bigger following in Miami, and obviously things didn't work out there for Leo Messi and PSG. And obviously that's tough to see since I would root for at PSG considering I like Kylian Mbappe, and then obviously everybody knows I love the French national basketball team. I love following a lot of those players over there in Europe. There's been a ton of French talent going to the NBA over the last few years. But everybody knows I love France. I loved going to Paris my senior high school. So anything French, whether it's a sports team, whether it's the city itself in Paris, everybody knows I'm going to be a fan of it. So uh, I did root for PSG to win with Messi. I'll still be a fan of him since I like Mbappe, uh, but I don't really follow soccer as much uh, as most people uh, you know, do, obviously, over in Europe. I follow the NBA, NFL a lot more, but obviously I followed it a little more with Messi playing over there in Paris for PSG. So even though things didn't work out, Obviously, now with him going to Miami, it's obviously great for the MLS. That's a huge come up for the MLS. Probably the biggest contract they'll ever have signed in the MLS, considering Messi is just the top of the world in soccer. The greatest of the greats. The best to ever do it. You get the GOAT soccer player to play in Miami, which is huge. And obviously, things didn't work out there for PSG and Messi together. Obviously, they had the aspirations of winning a Champions League championship with Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe. And they fall short of that, which is obviously tough to see. But at the end, it was better for both to move on. So now I'm going to move on to news across the NFL. Josh Allen will be the cover of Madden 24. Allen becomes the first Bills player ever to be named as the cover athlete of Madden. And it started in 1994 where they started adding players to the cover, and the Bills never had one. So this is the first time that a Bills player will ever be on the cover of Madden. And a lot of people talk about the Madden curse. Tom Brady was on the cover of it with Patrick Mahomes in 2021 for Madden 22. And Mahomes ended up winning the Super Bowl that season, and Tom Brady had a very good season as well. So they kind of broke the Madden curse already, uh, but people do talk about it a ton. Mahomes was the solo cover of Madden in 2019, won Super Bowl MVP, and then Brady won the regular season MVP in 2017 as a cover of it as well. But there are other guys as well, including Odell Beckham Jr. was the cover of it, still had a good season following that. So the Madden curse really isn't as big of a deal as it once was. And a lot of people still love talking about it. And a lot of people love talking about Peyton Hillis, who was a cover of Madden when he was playing for the Cleveland Browns as a running back. And then never really was the same player after that. And it's happened a few times where guys are cover athletes 
of games, especially in Madden, where players just don't really have the same success after that. But as I said, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes were able to have good seasons following that when they were the solo covers and even when they were the cover of it in 2021. And then if you also look at it, Odell Beckham Jr., Lamar Jackson, there are a good amount of players that have been able to break the curse over the last few years. So Josh Allen should be in the clear there. Josh Allen this past season, 35 touchdowns and 14 picks, adding in seven rushing touchdowns. He's now a two-time Pro Bowler and finished third in the MVP vote this past season. I know a lot of people are big fans of him. I think he's a good quarterback, but... Regardless of the Madden curse, regardless of him being on the cover of Madden or not, I do see Josh Allen as slightly overrated. I will break that down, though, when I give my NFL quarterback rankings heading into the season, but I do think Josh Allen is overrated. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's overrated. Both those things can be true in my eyes. I'll take Patrick Mahomes over him. I'll take Joe Burrow over him. I'll take Trevor Lawrence over him. And I know a lot of people need to upset about it, but yes, I would take Daniel Jones over him. I think Josh Allen has a better situation than Daniel Jones has had, has a better offensive line, has had the weapons, has had the coaching, has had the consistency and the stability around him that Daniel Jones has not had. Daniel Jones, similar to Josh Allen, struggled early in their career. Josh Allen, for the first year or two in his career, he struggled with accuracy. Daniel Jones' first three years wasn't really putting up the great numbers with the turnover issues. Gets a better offensive coordinator with Brian Dable, who was great with Josh Allen, turned his career around. And Daniel Jones had a great season this past year. I don't think there's that big of a difference between Daniel Jones and Josh Allen. And a lot of people will be upset by that. But that's just my take and that's how I feel. So, one last thing I want to talk about is in the NBA. Chris Paul was just waived by Phoenix. The Phoenix Suns will be moving on from according to reports. But they still could bring him back on a cheaper deal. They do have options up until the, the end of June. They could take him back on a cheaper deal. They could cut and stretch his contract. So get rid of him and then stretch his contract over a season or two to save a cap hit. Or they could decide to trade him. So there's a lot of options there for Phoenix to see what they want to do with Chris Paul. Before waving Chris Paul, the Suns were at about $5.3 million under the tax apron and then $15.8 million under the super tax. And that's according to Keith Smith. Now the Suns, after waving him, if they were to waive him, they'd have about $13.3 million under the tax. If they were to waive and stretch his contract, they would be around $26 million under the tax. So there's a lot for them to decide in the next few weeks to see what they want to do with them. With Phoenix in three seasons, two-time All-NBA selection, two-time All-Star, 23 playoff wins, also adding in a 15.1 point per game average, 9.5 assists, missed 23 games this past year with an injury, shooting 44% from the floor, wasn't his best season shooting-wise, still averaged 14 points and 9 assists. I think the Celtics could use him. They could definitely use a facilitator and a leader at the point guard position to hold people accountable. I think if you look at the Celtics, I think they're in need for a point guard and then a vet that's going to hold people accountable. If you have a true point guard like Chris Paul, and he's one of the only true point guards left in the NBA, probably the only true real point guard, floor general left in the NBA, I think he'd be a great add to that Celtics lineup. They've been lacking a true point guard that can direct the offense. Obviously, you have a guy like... Marcus Smart, who's a defensive player first, and then Malcolm Brogdon, who's really, really more of a combo guard, and Derek White as well. You don't leave a true point guard on that Celtics team. I guess Payne Pritch is more of a true point guard, but he's definitely not going to be a starter for that Celtics team. So the Celtics could definitely use a guy like Chris Paul that can direct the offense. The rest of their guards really are combo guards, shooting guards. No real true point guard there. As I said, Payne Pritchett's probably more of a true point guard. He can direct an offense, but he's not going to get really many minutes in that Celtics rotation, especially in the playoffs. As you saw, he really didn't play much at all. Another team that I think could use a guy like Chris Paul is the LA Lakers. There are reports that Kyrie Irving wants to bring LeBron to the Dallas Mavericks and team up with Luka Doncic and make a super team there of Kyrie, Luka, and LeBron. 
But I think LeBron would be better off staying in L.A. and trying to recruit a guy like Kyrie or recruit a guy like Chris Paul. I think if you look at it, I think LeBron goes to the Dallas Mavericks. It doesn't really solve many of their issues. I don't think Kyrie and Luka Doncic are a great duo. Obviously, neither one of them are great defensively. And then obviously, they both want the ball. Both are ball-dominant point guards. So it doesn't really work having true point guards in an offense. So obviously, you see Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic struggling last year when they were put together in Dallas. I think it would be better off for LeBron to stay in L.A. and try to recruit a guy like Kyrie or recruit Chris Paul. Obviously, LeBron James is best friends with Chris Paul, and they could try for one more run together. Obviously, Chris Paul has never won before, so he's looking for a ring. With Kyrie trying to play with LeBron, obviously, that's definitely a possibility. I don't think you can really trust anything Kyrie says. Even if he says he wants to stay in Dallas, I mean, he could flip a switch of the day and want to leave. I don't really see Kyrie and LeBron teaming up in Dallas. Kyrie, as I said, is a free agent this offseason. So after being traded from Brooklyn to Dallas on an expiring contract, he can now choose where he wants to go. So you can never really count on him. So even if he says he wants to stay in Dallas and resign, like he said he wanted to resign with the Celtics, you can never really trust anything Kyrie says. Uh, but I do think the best option here for LeBron is to stay in L.A. and then maybe try to get a guy like Kyrie or Chris Paul on the way. Because I think Chris Paul is a little bit left in the tank still as a floor general point guard. And obviously a lot of teams in the NBA could benefit from that. Having a guy that could set up an offense and direct traffic and help out a team and find holes in a defense with the pick and roll. I think he would be a great add there for LeBron James and Anthony Davis in that offense there with the Lakers. And that's with the thought that Kyrie may stay in Dallas I don't think he'll go to the Lakers, especially with the money the Lakers have. They don't really have much money to spend. I don't think he's going to go to the Lakers and just take a cheaper contract to play with LeBron. He left LeBron in Cleveland for a reason. And even though he says he still may want to play with LeBron and obviously he misses those times he had in Cleveland, you can never really trust anything Kyrie Irving says. So we'll see what happens there in the future with the Lakers. I will keep you guys posted on that. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. And hope you guys have a great day and a great rest of your weekend. Thank you.